Hello, it's episode 173. Today is July 9th, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast ASMR. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I thought I'd switch it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Should I even do the intro music Jeez. today? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> People just listen to it and they're like, what is going on? Uh, <laughs> what, hey, everyone. <laughs> the podcast still? Hey, everyone. We got some great, we got a great news story that we, we're going out of our comfort area a little bit today. Uh, and we're going to be tackling some questions uh, from the community as well. Um, but first, wait, don't I usually allude to the news story? I feel like I'm lost. Yeah. Yeah. You give them a little breakdown. Yeah. It's because you don't have the music. You That's don't right. Do. I don't have the music. So, yes, we're not doing the music. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, we're talking about alert fatigue and overload being an issue for the majority of security analysts. So this is a little bit out of our comfort zone. It'll be a little bit fun to, to jump into this. Um, hey, but first, we got the programming notes here. Uh, we're, we got that Patreon refresh that we did earlier this year. Uh, Human Factors Minute is in the books. We got a ton of them up and ready for your consumption. If you uh, become a Human Factors Engineer Patreon uh, member, you can you can get access to all of those episodes that are live and can, will continue to get them each and every week. Uh, highly produced, highly researched, uh, you know, slice of Human Factors. And um, coming soon, we have uh, more exciting things with the Patreon stuff. So stay tuned for that. We're always trying to provide back value to those who support us uh financially because we know that's a big ask and uh you know it helps the show keep going so we want to make sure we're giving back uh yeah anyway blake what's uh what's been going on in your world <laughs> that reminds me about patreon we were supposed to talk about that before the show we can talk but after. anyway we can always come back later but not a whole lot, man. I mean, it's been a normal just week here. It feels like it's been longer since I've talked to you, though. We did, but we did do a show last week, so I don't know what's going on in my brain. Uh, but things are things are good. I can't really complain at the moment because uh, I took my dog to the vet today, and he's super healthy. That makes me happy because I was worried about him. Um, but the only other thing that I've actually come across from like a tech perspective this week is how open and available sheet music has become for most of the bands that I like to learn their songs on guitar or bass or drums and how awesome it is that you're able to actually, you know, support one support bands by buying their sheet music in addition to like buying albums and stuff like that. Uh, Cause I've always felt like I've learned the most, like trying to play any instrument or learn more, more about production and composition of music through actually trying to play it and recreate it. Um, so it's been a super fun week for me, you know, probably spending way too much money on sheet music and then composing it inside of a DAW with like digital instruments in addition to like playing stuff on guitar and things like that. Uh, so it's been a cool week for me so far. Yeah. Well, if you're spending too much on, uh, sheet music, I'm probably going to start spending too much on 3d printed files now. I I'm going to, okay. Yes. So, so you got your, you got the thing I already, did. right? Uh, here we go. So. I got it the day after we podcasted last week, and it's been a whirlwind, man. It has been an absolute whirlwind. So I spent Friday setting it up. I did a couple test prints, and everything turned out fine. And um, I'm actually very happy with the printer itself. Uh, I I got the Creality Ender 3 Pro, uh, and it's typically the uh, like entry-level... Um, 
you know, fairly affordable 3D printer um, that a lot of people recommend. In fact, I'll I'll link it below uh, in the description for you, all of you if you're curious. Um, and so, so I got this one because, you know, I, I think I've mentioned on the show a couple of times that I'm trying to learn new skills. And um, with this, I felt like there was enough there with things like prop making or 3D modeling or, um, you know, the, the kind of uh, physical aspect of tweaking and tuning a machine for optimal performance. And I think um, this is just one more of those like things that I'm picking up in order to um, enhance my skill set during quarantine, which, you know, us here in California, we're still pretty heavily in quarantine. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, that's, that's the whole reason I picked it up. And so over the last week, I've printed out several things from like Star Wars currency, um, all the way up to like, uh, actual greeblies. We've talked about those on the show from the Millennium Falcon cockpit. Um, I've also gone in and made my own files, and that is so rewarding. So I've done a couple of uh, of light modifications to existing people's stuff, right? So there's there's a repository of 3D files online. Um, you can go to Thingiverse. Uh, I'll put that in the link below too. What a name! That's yeah. the best name I've Thingiverse. ever heard of. Uh, so you can go in and search for anything, and um, you know, there's like a bunch of Star Wars stuff on there. There's a bunch of practical stuff on there too. And um, so um, basically what I've done is I've, I've made my own things, I've modified things, and I've printed stuff just from the community. And um, the stuff printed from the community turns out great. Uh, the stuff that I modified turns out okay. And the stuff that I make myself takes a couple tries. And that's I'm fully expecting that because I'm learning a new software too. So I've been using Tinkercad to uh, both modify these existing files to my own um, sort of uh, need. And I've also, um, you know, Tinkercad has a lot of tools and Tinkercad I think is Autodesk, um, but it's a web-based interface, uh, which is really cool. Um, so you can actually just go into a web-based interface and all your stuff is saved right there. You can import STL files and, and um, yeah, it's Autodesk. Uh, and it's... Um, I'll put that in the link down below too. If anyone wants to check out Tinkercad and get their 3D modeling skills, it's just going to be a resource list down in the <laughs> description below for 3D printing here. Yes, but but like honestly, it. like so so I've made a couple things. So uh, let me get back to that. So um, first thing I made was so there's a Death Star control panel, um, and what I've done is I have modified it. So I took the Death Star control file, uh, the Death Star control panel file, and I took um, a light switch panel and I've merged the two together. So now there's a perfect hole for a light switch with the screws in uh, my Death Star panel. So if I put this on the wall, you'll see a light switch right there. It's actually a functional panel now, right? Because you can turn on and off the lights with this Death Star panel. Um, so wait, you actually 3D printed I that 3D thing? printed this thing, yes. That is so sick, man. Holy cow. I, I thought that was something that came from uh, one of the build kits when you were showing it to me earlier before no, the show. No, man, this is all 3D but printed. That, you've got to toss a picture of that in the Slack for people yeah, to see. Yeah, I will. Because this thing does look like it's straight out of the Death Star, and if you just like straight 3D printed it, that's even Yeah, cooler. I think I actually put the um, the uh, the slicer view of, of the 3D file on the Slack. So if you want, you can go check it out there. I'll, I'll 
post a picture of the finished product. Um, or I guess it's it's not finished yet, right? I, I sanded it down earlier today. I'm waiting for some filler primer so that way it fills in all these striations. Um, and then I got to, you know, actually paint it and detail it uh, to make it look like a Death Star panel proper. And then I'll mount it on my wall. And then I can take this with me wherever I go if I want to, you know, um, put it in another room. I could put it there. I could print out another one and have it in every room in my house. Yes, I did. I did post the uh, the slicer view in the Slack. Um, so uh, yeah, go, go check that out if you're curious. And I'll I'll post progress pictures on that. But I I now I find myself having too many projects to work on. Um, so that was one thing. Another thing I worked on was kind of like a custom cable for a Cat Six Ethernet cable holder and that's a longer conversation of why i need those uh but i won't get into it too much the the idea is that i'm using that for wiring uh between two units um and uh basically i needed a custom mount to go inside some of these other star wars props that i'm making um (laughs) to power them and use the same logic that's built into another thing uh and then the last thing I built, so I mentioned, I think briefly on the show, I mentioned this last week, but I'm building this droid interface terminal, the kit that I got. And what I actually built was um, was kind of this interlocking system where on the back of each of these, um, on the back of each of these rotating disks for the droid terminal, I 3D printed out uh, like an insert with a knob on it. So that way, as the knob turns around, presumably powered by a motor, it will catch on the lip of another knob from um, something that's inserted into these panels. So, Blake, you can see here what I'm talking about. Maybe you can help describe it a little bit better. But as the, as the shaft turns, the knob on the outside connects with the knob that's attached to the thing, and then turns yeah so almost think about it like if uh, if you guys have ever seen the, an open face clock or what it looks like in the back where you have a bunch of cogs think of them kind of like overlapping on top of each other and as a knob turns you can kind of see different cogs moving that's the best analogy that i have off the top of my head if you're a star wars fan you probably know what this looks like or you've at least seen it once in a film um but yeah, it's it looks pretty cool, and some of the it's it's so crazy to watch just from week to week the giant leaps and improvements that you make, like just in like the aesthetics or putting stuff together for these kind of projects. It's really cool to watch. Yeah, it's something that's keeping me busy and occupied during these times. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. There's um, 3D printing in itself is a huge hobby. Uh, because like, like I mentioned last week, you can print out upgrades for the printer itself. And I did that. Um, and so now my, those are the first things I did last week. So the first couple days were all about printing things to improve the machine, like a better rolling system for the filament and, uh, you know, guides for the filament. So it doesn't go in at a weird angle or, um, you know, a tray for the bottom of my, um, uh, 3d printer so I can put stuff in it. Uh, so it was just a lot of the, you know, clips for wires backing for the, uh, control panel that didn't come with it. So, you know, it's just stuff like that, um, that I spent the first couple days doing. And now I'm actually printing out fun stuff. Um, and I'm finding that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reaching my limit of what I can work on at one time. Um, and you know, I can keep 3d printing and have a backlog of stuff to get to, but then I'm like, well, where do I put it if I don't, if I'm still working on it? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. 
It sounds like it, man. So when you talk about like the you don't know where to put it, is that like storing all the files for the like the AutoCAD system, or is this just like building stuff in physical pieces? space? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm gonna. So I have my where my work desk, um, and you know I have like kind of a queue of projects that I'm working on. So right now I have, uh, what well, I guess like four projects on here. You know I have my. Uh, Greebly from my Millennium Falcon. I'm printing out another one of these right now, and I'm probably going to process these um, parallel. Uh, I have my Death Star um, control panel, and then I have my kit that I got. You know, uh, that's probably like ninety-ish percent done. I just have to wire up the lights, and I'm waiting on a couple supplies to finish that. Um, I'm also waiting on a couple supplies to start finishing the 3D prints here. Um, mainly fill, filler primer to remove all those striations. And then I have um, another piece that I haven't really started. I have the control switch uh, for something, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do another 3D print on this just to get the dimensions down and model it that way. I also have a couple other projects that I want to do in my car um, that involve um, basically making things look better for... <laughs> how I'm storing a uh, extension cable for my um, AC plug. Okay, yeah. Uh, basically, I want to, you know, just have an insert into, like, that little space below all your radio and all that stuff. So that way um, it just fits in there nicely and sits snugly and looks nice. Um, so I, that's another project that I want to work on, but I haven't dared start that one yet because I still have four of them on my desk. Uh, so I'm going to start processing these, I think, as soon as my supplies come and hopefully get through a couple of them this weekend. But yeah, that's, that's, that's my life right now. Um, well, we're all stuck in the house. I also printed out, uh, Justine, a pumpkin. So there's that. That's pretty <laughs> sick. Nice, man. Yeah. The pumpkin turned out cool. Uh, all right. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into, uh, the news. That's right. This is the part of the show all about human factors news where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. This could be anything from medical, privacy, security, robotics, artificial intelligence, transportation, psychology, virtual reality, automation, design, cybersecurity, you name it. As long as it relates to the field of human factors, it's fair game for us to talk about. Blake, what's up first this week? Well, can you please read everything in an ASMR voice? I don't even know if I can do that. I'll try my best. I don't. I can't do it. <laughs> All right. So security professionals are struggling to effectively manage high volumes of security alerts. And according to a 2020 survey of OPSEC and Automation Report, a study conducted by the Dimensional Research on behalf of Sumo Logic, uh, managing the sheer volume of security alerts poses a significant problem for IT professionals. This research of a f- over 425 quality security individuals found that 70 or more had faced double the volume of security alerts in the past five years, while 99% stated that high volumes of alerts were causing problems for IT security teams. So this has led to about 83% of people saying that their security staff are experiencing this alert fatigue, which is of no surprise. Today's security operations teams are faced with constant threats of security breaches that can lead to severe fallout, including losing customers, diminishing brand reputation, and even reducing revenue. 
to effectively minimize this risk and bridge the gap, many companies rely on automated solutions that provide real-time analysis for security alerts. And these findings from this research actually highlight that the challenges SOC teams or security operations center teams are facing in this cloud-centric world, but more importantly, why enterprises are aggressively looking for cloud-native alternatives for security analytics and operations. So there's a lot going on there, like from a security perspective. Um, but I think to to kind of bring it back home to the human factors world and the importance for cybersecurity, a big issue we always have when you're seeing a, a new system being designed or perhaps dealing with upgrading an old system is like a false alarm rate or an overload of um, of alerts and how an operator has to deal with them amongst the rest of their workload. And Nick, it sounds like the rest of the security world is kind of dealing with not only threats, but alerts about threats, alerts about specific new things developing in the security world um, on top of just trying to keep the the day-to-day things going. So I can only imagine this is really intense. Yeah, I mean, this is signal detection theory, right? I mean, if you, you know, get alerts that are false alarms, then uh, if, you, if you keep getting alerts, it's just going to it's just going to drain you. And um, yeah, this, I mean, I like this story for a lot of reasons. It touches human factors in a lot of ways. You got signal detection theory, you got um, cybersecurity, you have uh, performance, you have automated systems, you have cloud environments in which, you know, humans have to interoperate with. You know, I was, as I was reading this, I was kind of thinking about um, other ways in which companies sort of, uh, passively gain information i guess about uh security um not breaches but like security uh uh uh, what's the word i'm looking for it's like security uh compromise security i guess um but but you know most companies have like a bounty program um and there's people out there who like will poke at websites and try to figure out if there's any um, oh, like, are you talking about like ethical hacking, like white hack, white hat yeah. hacking? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where people will poke at a website and try to you know bring it down or whatever, and go, hey, uh, do you guys have a bounty program? Because I just found a, a, a security flaw with your website or whatever, and um, you know they'll usually pay them something, and it's more like freelance work. But um, you know, it's it, they they all have their own internal teams as well, and. Uh, if if they're missing things from these security alerts, and especially um, if they're trying to manage uh, such a high volume of these alerts, uh, that's you know I I just talked about this. I have four projects on my desk and two in my car, <laughs> and I'm overloaded. I can't um, and you know and work as well. But like I can't imagine trying to juggle, you know any more than this amount right now with uh like things that actually mean something <laughs> you right. know like security alerts yeah. so um you know and so it also depends on how quickly you can process them too right so it's just there's a lot in this story and i'm i'm uh, i'm still digesting um so I kind of want to, to relay an experience that I recently had that's kind of, it's tangentially related to the story, but more so related to my, a little bit of my fa- my fascination with the world of InfoSec and cybersecurity. Um, and I, I talked to Nick a little bit about this before we started the podcast, when we were looking for this 
story and selected this one, but a student of mine who uh, has just finished up their design lab work actually got to work on an application that was centered around SOAR systems, and I cannot remember off the top of my head what SOAR stands for, but it's a, it's a big acronym that you see a lot of companies in the, in the security world having to deal with. And I, I guess I was always under the assumption that you had a lot of IT professionals that would have to deal with security breaches and things of that nature. But actually what she was tasked with to help a, an investor basically create a proof of concept for was not just the like a day-to-day person or an info security person working with these alerts and the meaning, but actually C-suite level people being able to open up an application that tracks all of the breaches they've had this week, how many customers were impacted so that they could basically have SA of an entire, you know, enterprise level business and then be able to communicate that to investors or communicate that to other people they work with um, in terms of like what their products are doing in house and stuff like that. So it, it has such a far reaching implication. Like imagine being the person on the ground that's having to deal with, you know, 10, different types of security breach and you're trying to understand them and but you're more intimately familiar with the systems you're dealing with so the alerts may not be as overwhelming but imagine as you go up the chain and you get further and further away from the technical side of things and now maybe you're you're at the product team owner level where you're dealing with five different teams and now you've got 50 alerts instead of 10 to deal with so it's just that 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 growth and exponential change in the amount of workload that you have kind of grows depending on where you are located within a company. And they have such high reaching implications for security companies because like so much data is now being given up to companies for them to kind of have to store and deal with and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's interesting to see this. I'm glad we had to tackle a little bit of it. Yeah. I, I mean, another thing that's really sort of, um, Surprising to me is that the number of security staff that say this is a problem, um, and you know they're they're talking about eighty three percent of the sampled um, security staff or security teams, and it's that's a high number uh, to be burnt out on these like security alerts, and um, you know it's it's probably not as high stakes as uh, perhaps like. TSA or um but you know it, it's probably not as high stakes as TSA for example uh but i i still think there's real world consequences that there's absolutely real world consequences that can be that can happen based on somebody missing one of these alerts and that's scary that the people that they're hiring to do this job are getting fatigued by all this so i mean I guess where can the role of like automation, these cloud solutions um, and, and uh, automated solutions to look through these security alerts help, right? Like, I don't, I don't know enough about the, this domain to really speak intelligently on it, um, which is why we're going out of our comfort zone today. Uh, But, um, or at least I am, I don't know. You seem to know a lot more about this than I thought. (laughs) It's just, it's an interesting topic to me for sure. And it's only because of like, tangentially being related to it for some of the work that I do um, but also like interacting with this particular student and the engineer they were working with that I got a little more insight into it uh, but I definitely can't speak intelligently enough about it the, the one thing that I find really interesting in this article um, from it's it's towards the end here so it's, it's 
it's the virtually informed Cisco uh, looks like a CEO of some kind, but he makes a cool point about like for about 20 years, technology has really been focused on collecting and giving you alerts. So hence this like fatigue model, right? Like you just, you got a system that's collecting information. And it's telling you about it, which when it, when it started was really cool. It's like getting notifications on your phone. Um, but if you have too many notifications, it's just overwhelming. You don't look at them. You dismiss them. You don't even pay attention to them. But it, it's so it seems like these cloud computing systems and basically the power that's behind them, the really what's going to be helping people resolve things better, at least from this this CEO's perspective, is AI coming along. And probably, I would assume, dealing with solutions and not having to provide as many alerts as you know AI learns more or as deep learning is implemented and it can actually resolve issues without ever having to bring it to a human's attention. Um, and then only leaving alerts that are of like a high enough severity that somebody has to know because of a breach or whatever it may be. Um, and one thing I actually want to go back to, Nick, you made a really good point that this is not like as as concerning as like a TSA or a national security level of threat um, when it comes to like security breaches or these kind of things these guys are dealing with. But one thing to actually keep in mind is this kind of infosec world is run in a couple of really large companies. Um, now there there is of course like like any other sector of business, there's smaller entities. But they're are run by some very big ones that have, you know, their hands and allotted from people's data. So it, it does pr- propose a pretty heavy security risk to a lot of different enterprises when something does go wrong, um, especially if you think about the amount of companies that use Cisco technologies and what that means for security. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting thing to try and solve, especially with the introduction of a lot of this powerful cloud computing software we have. But really, I, I I tend to agree with the virtually informed Cisco CEO that it's definitely going to be uh, a challenge until we get AI to a point where it can handle some of the work um, so that we can offload things that a human's actually trying to deal with. Yeah, I don't know how much more I can talk about this. Uh, serious problem. Uh, lots of people affected. Um, looks like you got more to say, though. Oh, no, this is just, okay. it's just kind of cool because uh, it it made me want to like get a little more into some of the cybersecurity aspect of, you know, human factors, because I know that's like a growing field in general, uh, but I'm sure there's got to be some great and hopefully we can do a, a awesome human factors minute or two over uh, on like human factors impact into cybersecurity and things that come out of that kind of technical group or commit community as it grows. Yeah, I like that idea. I'll put that on the uh, the list for sure. Uh, okay, well, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll get to Reddit. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, 
personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. Before we continue on, I just want to thank all of our friends over at InfoSecurity Magazine for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post those links on social media as we find them, or you can join us on our Slack to links to the original articles. All right, well, why don't you say we get into the next part of the show? It came from... It came from... That's right. It came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community is talking about. Any topic is fair game. This is really boring. <laughs> like how, I can I can get why people fall asleep to this, and I'm not like anyway. <laughs> I can't believe you could like just keep it going for so long. I'm over here dying. You, you yeah, I know. You had to mute your mic. Dying. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into it. Came from Reddit here. Um, yeah, so we got we got two this week. Let's let's tackle them both since we you know didn't do so much coverage of the news story this week. I mean, we can we can we have time for both of these. Uh, so I'm gonna get a, go ahead and read this first one here. This is from the UX subreddit, but I'm gonna adapt this for Human Factors because this is Human Factors cast. Uh, well, I I mean we can we can do both. Uh, but uh, this is by user L Kingpin. Um, what are some good online UX or human factors communities? Uh, right now, Reddit is my only source for discussion about the UX or human factors field. What are other good online communities that you are subscribed to and what do you like about them? Blake, I'm going to throw it over to you for UX, uh, or if you have any human factors ones, um, I got, I got a couple in my back pocket. Yeah, I unfortunately don't have a whole lot of great ones for human factors, but I do have a couple of options for UX. Um, if you're looking for something that's similar toward like similar feel of Reddit, so being able to you know just post stuff, ask questions, and kind of have banter back and forth, a uh, great option is the designer hangout Slack. I think now they have like a full fledged website where all you have to do is you don't have to know a member anymore. You just go to the designerhangout.co and put your email address in, and you'll get an invite for the Slack. Um, but it's a good place especially if you don't have any kind of local UX communities in your area, like a, like a meetup group or a UXPA or any of that kind of stuff, I still really encourage you checking out that, especially right now, because those online communities are growing. And most of those communities also have Slack channels that you can check out. Um, that's, that's kind of my favorite go-to because that, that one touches so many different parts of the world so you can get diverse perspectives on user experience design and interaction design as well as like learn about what it takes to go from like a beginner in the field and learn more and become an expert uh, but it's also a great place to find freelance work or volunteer work if you're looking for it so again that's the designer hangout slack um, but nick i'm going to toss it over to you for human factors helpful online communities well i i got another slack channel for you <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, you can always join the Human Factors Cast Slack. Um, shameless plug there. Uh, we have a community of uh, 95 users right now in this Slack. Um, 
Sometimes it's more active than others, but you know, uh, I, I think there's a lot of people with really great minds in the Slack and, and I, I've had some great conversations with some of the folks in there. So, um, you know, and all it takes is somebody to ask a question. So to jump in, I've been trying to be a little bit more active and comment on some of the, you know, some of the other stuff that I see in there, um, and post, you know, at least, at least a thing every week, uh, sometimes two things, um, just as a helpful little, anyway, uh, you can even, you can even just BS in there. Like I threw my 3d prints in there so you can see that. But, uh, so that's, that's one community. And, uh, you know, if you want to connect with us directly, um, I think networking is a huge, uh, sort of, uh, win for a lot of people. So, um, you can do that in the Slack. The other one that I want to bring up here is the human factors and ergonomic society member forum. Um, and this one is a paid community. I think you have to be a member of HFES. However, I know a lot of listeners are, um, so it might just come included. I, this uh, took a while to get off, um, off the ground. This So the, um, the impetus of this was when Human Factors and Ergonomic Society a couple years ago wanted a online community for people and online community for people and um you know they they made it and it just kind of sat there and no one said anything on it however with that being said uh now in the age of covid and everyone's in their home i've seen a lot of activity on there and uh you know i've mentioned it on the show before you know chris reed a uh, friend of the show chris reed he um he actually posted about the elephant in the room uh, with regards to, you know, racial inequality and how that fits into human factors. And that thread is still going. Uh, there's still people commenting on that every day. And it's it, it's really, really good discussion. Uh, so if you are a member of HFES, like, go check that out. That's a great resource. Um, and I've, I've seen some fights on there that are, like, professional squabbles, I guess. Oh, where- no. <laughs> where people will shoot down an idea or something and it's like that's not really the environment that we're looking for here guys uh but uh you know overall i think it's fairly positive right i mean i i don't think it's a place where you know you'd be chastised all the time for asking a question that you know you just want to know the answer to and if you're looking for a safe space the slack <laughs> right you could do that there yeah honestly that, actually that's something i do want to point out that we I know we're not as active in there as some communities, but it definitely, I encourage questions and anything that you don't know the answer to that we can maybe help you with, or we can put you in contact with somebody that might know, please ask. Cause I, there, I think that is the danger of like general social media right now, or probably most of the time, but especially right now with so many people being on it, like, cause to not to jump in and cut Nick off, but no, as, you're fine. as part of the UX community thing in my head, I was like, Oh, well, get on Twitter or go check out LinkedIn because there's a, there's a lot of great content there. But it's if I'm perfectly frank about it, it's not somewhere I would want to be interacting because there is just a lot of kind of anger and angst in communities, and you do get this very hostile style and style of environment, um, especially if you if you make a misstep or anything like that. And I think it's it's more important to learn in these kind of situations and have meaningful yeah. banter than to be you know shot shot down like you were kind of describing yeah i agree i think i think you know wherever you find that community online whether it be a facebook group or you know there, there might be facebook groups i haven't checked and most of the reason why i haven't checked is i don't i don't post on facebook i don't i don't 
choose to engage on that platform because it's tied to like all my information. So somebody could figure out where I live based on the pictures that I've posted there or something, you know, like, I yeah. so I just, I haven't done that in years. So like, I, I just don't engage there. And, you know, I know some people have communities through Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. And that's great. Uh, that's not how I operate. I like to have discussions. Right. And if I can leave a comment on, on a thread and have a discussion with several other people about, you know, a 3d printer or, Three, uh, you know, or or um, we talked about Ludwig's wall last time, or we talked about you know, and uh, we've been sourcing feedback in our Patreon subscribers channel. Like, you know, there's all these threads, and and I love just having sort of these very focused, um, focused conversations with with the community. Like, that's that's the biggest part of it for me, Blake. Like, I don't I don't know if we say it enough on this show, but when we interact with the community, um that you know listens to the show it really sort of reminds us that yes we're we're doing this for people and people actually enjoy as as weird as it is for us to fathom people enjoy listening to us on a weekly basis or at least you know value uh the podcast in some way shape or form so um you know when we have those interactions with you it's sort of validating in that sense but also like i'm i'm proud of the community that we've made right we kind of built this from the ground up um and uh, slowly, slowly got 90, 90 what did I say, 95 people? 95 people in the Slack. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, um, you know, it, 95 doesn't seem like a lot in comparison to, like, Designer Hangout. But, I mean, you know what? Come check it out. And uh, go check out the HFES member forum, too. Absolutely. Okay. That was the first question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was that was only the first one. Oh man! Yeah, here we go. Here's the second one. Um, Pre masters in human factors, an engineering student. So this is this is for some of our listeners who may not be in a master's program. Um, this is submitted by JJ Armd. By uh, this is actually on the human factor subreddit, so it's relevant. Uh, they go on to write, Hello, everyone. I recently decided to pursue my master's in human factors slash systems. However, I have no experience in this field, uh, though only a bachelor in, of science in psychology. I'm seeking advice from those in the field that can lead me in the right direction of preparing myself before entering the program, such as an intern job or volunteering. Thank you. Blake. There is nothing wrong with only having a uh, psychology degree because that's definitely how I started. I did not know even really anything about human factors besides that you could do stuff with airplane cockpits. Um, and Okay, so in terms of getting into a program, uh, let me tell you what not to do because it's what I did and nearly did not get in. So definitely, or let's let's say, I'll say it this way. Heed my advice, because these are things that I did not do and nearly ran ran the risk of not going to grad school. Um, so research the institutions that you think you would like to go into. or And in terms of human factors, does that mean you, you really want to have a human factors engineering focus? Would you like to go to a industrial a program that's within an industrial design school? Um, do you want to be focused more on some of the cognitive side? So doing some of the more human factor style research that has uh, a psychology emphasis. Um, that's a, a great way to kind of think about it. And then dive a little bit into possible master's options. But then from there, 
just look at the different professors, the research that they've, they've put together, and reach out to some of them. If you're interested in you know, stimulus re- response compatibility, reach out to a professor that focuses on that. Or if, like in Nick's case, he was really interested in VR, reach out to any professor that may be working in VR and how it impacts human factors or UX design or whatever it may be. And I think that can that can really help you kind of, one, know if there's a foundation that you would like to start with. Because, uh, of course, whenever you go to school doesn't mean that when you get out, you're going to do the exact stuff that you learned in school or even be in the same field. But it's a good place to start. Um, and that's that's really kind of my best advice is just do your research before you start kind of worrying about what are the prerequisites that I need to have. I think it's much more important for you to end up in a trying to go after a program that you think is going to really impact your life in a positive way. Um, cause I, I have to say, I think most human factors master's programs are going to set you up pretty well with the methodology in a broad spectrum, um, and give you a, a nice basis for the academic experience of being in, a, in the human factors world, and then be ready to actually go and apply it as well out, out in the world, if you so choose. Uh, but Nick, what's your perspective here? Cause I know that we've had like kind of different, um, paths when we went to grad school. Yeah, so I think your advice for preparing uh, in terms of understanding exactly what the program has to offer and what the uh, faculty are studying, so that way it aligns with your interests. I think all that is completely, uh, you know, it's all relevant, and you know, I'd recommend the same. Um, I'm going to go just a little bit further out and say, um, you know, if if you are considering uh, human factors. Um, get involved with labs. Uh, if you are, you know, if you have um, a Bachelor of Science in Psychology, I think that's a great start. I think a lot of people uh, or a lot of faculty, when looking at applications, will look at sort of the extracurricular activities that you did and also your level of experience. Um, to put it lightly, they don't want no scrub. And so, uh, basically, what I'm trying to say is get involved, get experience in some way, um, and and they even go on to mention a couple here, intern job or volunteering. I'd reach out to, um, you know, it, it depends on kind of how long, it, it depends, it, it does depend though on how long you've kind of been out of the game. Uh, sometimes it's a little easier to get into a lab, you know, if you just recently graduated or um you know if you're not really going to the school it's a little harder of a sell to say hey can i just uh, come in and hang out and experience lab um there are especially for human factors there's a lot of interesting things that you can do you can start to create a portfolio by reaching out and engaging with the community i know right now especially there are folks like uh dr dan nathan roberts who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago who are looking for the community to help with things like the post-COVID-19 response, which, by the way, he he sent out a um, a, a message on our Slack with an info uh, infographic on that. Uh, really cool. I would highly recommend anyone listening to the show go go read. Actually, go read the report too, because it was accompanied by a report, and um, it had a detailed uh, like analysis of non-pharmaceutical interventions that we can make. Uh, to help stop the spread of COVID-19 that are human factors related. It's really good read. That's Go really do cool. that. 
But there are people like that out there who are requesting help from the community. And if you can start to get your foot in the door with those types of requests, um, that's great. Become a member of HFES. Look on the forum to see if there's any discussion. Start getting your name out there. Um, there's a, a bunch of different avenues that you can take to get your foot in the door. Um, go to conferences. Uh, if you're free this uh, October, I think HFES is going to be virtual. Um, so maybe that's your time to just jump in. And if you can network with other people virtually, do it. If there's, you know, if someone says on a webinar, hey, we got a separate breakout room over here, go to it. Start to listen. Insert yourself into the conversation. Ask questions. Make connections. Do all that stuff. That's that's kind of, um, it's it's really weird right now, I think, uh, with the state of the world um, for trying to make those connections and trying to volunteer and um, do do those really interesting uh, or with with the really interesting set of of how we're interacting with each other now uh, through like video call only and um, phone calls and all that stuff it's it's just interesting to me uh, and I don't know truly how to navigate that but my my only advice would be just to try to try to not be a fly on the wall in a lot of these conversations insert yourself into the conversation and and sort of make it known that you're there yeah i think it's a really good point nick the networking aspect of things is pretty huge and uh, you even bring up a better point that if you're outside of school the lab thing is definitely the way to go um, but you may have a harder time doing it in this kind of environment of not being in school covid yada yada so what he was suggesting about going to conferences especially virtual ones but then at the same token putting yourself out there when you do do it uh that's going to yield kind of the best learning experience and also potentially connections in places you may never have been able to get to without having that experience or making that interaction or whatever it may be. So great advice, Nick. Thanks, Blake. Should I ASMR this outro? Absolutely not. No. We're not doing it. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the story this week. You can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us all over social media channels at HFactors Podcast. Uh, you can always email us at show at humanfactorscast.com. We read each and every single one that comes through our inbox. We may not read all of them on the show, but we do read all of them. Uh, if you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or consider supporting us financially on Patreon. We will give back to you in the form of Human Factors Minute. Um, and, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnstorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about how to break in to a high-profile uh, website? Oh, yeah. You guys can always talk to me about white hat hacking. Um, in the Human Factors cast Slack, of course, you can find me at, at Blake in there in any of the channels. Uh, but you can find me across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Just a quick note, we're going to be out next week. We're taking a little summer break, but we'll be back. That's Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. 
They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense. <laughs>